This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. All right, everybody, welcome to this week's edition of Welcome to Matlana. I would be Matt or Matlana. I didn't give myself the nickname. I earned the nickname. Let's not waste any time. Let's get to this week's edition of Welcome to Matlana. The last name could be a, a blessing and a curse, right? Sure. You know, Joe sure. Bucks talked about it and others that some are going to think you just got the opportunity because of the last name. Sometimes you have to overcome it. What was your first opportunity like and did it help or hurt? It helped. Uh, look, you know, there, there's a certain amount of familiarity in the business that people come to expect of you with a family name like Buck and Brenham and Albert. Uh, Tom McCarthy's got a son that's getting involved in the business as well. Um, and look, I'm the first to admit that I stand on the shoulders of giants, not only in my family, but this industry. And uh, the connections and the, the relationships that my dad and my grandfather built certainly helped me. But Matt, you know, uh, that's only going to carry you so far. And this is a personality-driven business. And you will get opportunities, perhaps, and make connections that other people can't. But at the end of the day, when that light goes on, uh, you've got to do it. And uh, being someone's kid or grandson isn't going to help save you when the uh, proverbial you-know-what hits the fan. You've got to perform, and you've got to be a good employee, and you've got to work hard, and you've got to grind, and all of those things I certainly did. Um, So that part of it doesn't bother me. Uh, I think for the people who want to be critical of one's work, uh, it's an easy cop-out because, look, there's a lot of jealousy involved. We have great jobs. Uh, We get to uh, get paid to watch games and talk to athletes and travel first class and all of that stuff. Uh, But nonetheless, it still is a job, and it's not an easy one to to do because you do serve a lot of different masters. So uh, I was very aware of the help I got. I'm very cognizant of that. I'm trying to do the same thing for my sons who also want to get into business. But I also tell them exactly what I said. Once you get in the door, it's up to you to continue to walk through it and keep seeing other doors open because ultimately it's you behind that microphone, not me, your dad, or your grandfather. Home field advantage exists in baseball. Insurance, too. Your local Trusted Choice independent insurance agents are active members of your community. They'll always have your back. Find a local auto, home, or business insurance agent at TrustedChoice.com. Folks, you just heard from Smoltzy, and you heard it from me as well. Clayton Rhodes and the Rhodes Group are my trusted choice for insurance agents. They've been my agent for a long time, and they serve all of Metro Atlanta. To get up to 10 auto insurance quotes in less than 10 minutes, visit Rhodes-Group.com slash churnoff today. That's Rhodes-Group.com. Dot com slash churnoff. It's a new year, which means it's time to try something new. And I'm talking to you folks who have not yet tried the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. I hope you'll go see my friend Sean Daly. That's, get it, the Daily Draft. This is the ultimate sports bar experience. So as the football playoffs near, and then baseball's around the corner, knock on wood, and all the fun springtime things that will happen in Atlanta, you're going to want to enjoy it at the Daily Draft. It's downtown Woodstock on Main Street. What you're going to find, a craft beer bar, self-serve taps, uh, big screens all around you to catch every view of the big game. And when I say a big screen, they have a movie-sized screen with a front-row seat right in front of it that you can grab if you get there at the right time to enjoy all your favorite games. A chef-inspired menu with soup, salad, sandwiches, flatbreads, uh, you name it, they have everything to find everybody exactly what they want when you're going with the family, a boys' night, or a date night. 
TheDailyDraft.net is where you can find all the information about some of the nights like Trivia Night, Kids Eat Free Night, and more. TheDailyDraft.net. Go find them downtown Woodstock on Main Street. Tell them Matt sent you. You'll love The Daily Draft. So take me back then, because you went to the University of Georgia. I did. And, and I don't know if you did some stuff there broadcasting-wise, but what was your first paying gig, and what was the uh, what was the job? Uh, well, I did. Well, I worked at the campus radio station. I did some sports. I did a few college baseball games with uh, Mike Salmon and Roger Manus, uh, both of whom were in broadcasting uh, and, and have been for a long time. Uh, my first paid gig, uh, let me think about I was an intern at TBS, but, but I wasn't really on the air. Uh, really, my, I, I, my first paid job, I was 24 years old. I was hired to be the TV announcer for the Orlando Magic in their expansion year. Uh, I kind of fibbed with uh, Pat Williams. I kind of pulled a Bob Costas when he, he called and, and said, I heard you want to get in the business. Bob Neal recommended me, uh, recommended you to me at the All-Star Game in Houston. Send us a tape. Uh, I had no tapes. Uh, I had a friend in Charlotte who was working on their production crew. I went down, got a courtside seat, did the uh, tape recording of a game, got video, edited it at the TV station I was working at, and then uh, one thing led to another, and I, I got to, I got the job at, at the age of 24. I was the youngest guy in the NBA. Uh, I was worse than the team, which won 15 or 16 games <laughs> that year. Um, but I had a great partner and great people that supported me and let me learn on the job just as our city was. And uh, that was a really exciting, fun time uh, to, uh, to to grow with a sport that you didn't become re- didn't really know a lot about. But to do NBA basketball in the era in which I did it with, uh, you know, the big three in Boston and Michael Jordan and the, the Jordanaires and the bad boys and Showtime in L.A. and uh, little old Orlando growing up very quickly when they got Shaq and Horace Grant and Penny Hardaway. Uh, to be a part of that for seven, eight years at such a young age was really, really eye-opening and really an invaluable experience. Yeah, it's a fun team. Um, yeah. Did you want to have the plan to, to get to baseball, or were you going to just follow the path wherever it took you? Baseball. Uh, I was honest with Pat Williams about that. Pat's uh, a, a, a dear friend and, and the man that brought the Magic to Orlando and at heart a baseball guy and is still trying to get baseball in Orlando. Uh, they had a double-A team, uh, and I was doing the double-A games while I was doing Magic games because they were hopeful of getting one of the expansion teams that eventually went to Miami and Tampa Bay. Uh, but baseball was always my first love. You know, you, I played it. I've been around it. I guess some of it is uh, – uh, sort of in the bloodlines, as it were. Uh, and it's such a beautiful, smart, intellectual, fun game, and it truly is a pastime. Uh, that was always my first love, and uh, uh, once I made the decision to leave the Magic and go to the Cubs, I never looked back. So, again, I don't know if the Internet's telling me the truth or not, but did you do a stint in Seattle as well? I did. I was there with uh, Lou Piniella. Uh, the, the, I was there in 93, four and five, uh, when they were really growing up, uh, I met Lou Pinella in spring training for the first time. And he walked up and said, your grandpa told me to take care of you. Let's go have a drink. <laughs> so that's, that's how I met Lou Pinella. Uh, and he was fantastic. Uh, became a dear friend. Uh, and that was an exciting time. Again, I didn't know much about the American league as a Braves fan and a Cardinal fan. Uh, but I got to go out and watch Ken Griffey jr. And Omar Vizquel and Randy Johnson and Jay Buhner and the Mariners win the West in 93. Uh, you know, and, and really uh, the, the teams in 93, four and five saved baseball out there. The Mariners were probably going to head to Tampa, uh, but they, they were able to somehow get their new ballpark financed while I was there and moved out of the kingdom into a uh, Safeco Field and all those great players just continued to roll merrily along and a bunch of them are in the Hall of Fame but I got to see them when they were babies and uh, we had a lot of fun. That's a great documentary too that the uh, MLB Network did on that 95 team kind of saving baseball there. Um, yeah, through that yeah they did. They did. And Lou Pinella, Lou Pinella in particular, he was such a larger than life personality there. Uh, in 93, those kids were good, but they didn't know how to be good and they didn't know how good they were. 
And Lou Pinella truly was like a drill instructor and a father confessor all at once. And I don't want to say he scared those guys into uh, becoming good, but by the force of his personality, he willed them into being good and following the lessons that he learned with those great Yankees teams. And uh, they, they grew to love him. And anybody that knows Lou Pinella, I mean, he, he, that outside that gruff exterior is just a, a heart of gold and a wonderful man. And uh, I don't think he gets enough credit for uh, the renaissance and the, and the rebirth, if you will, of baseball in Seattle. Chip, I hope I have the timeline right, and if I'm wrong on the years, fill me in. But I, I vividly remember you in the booth, whether it was a pregame or doing an inning with your dad and your grandfather when the Braves were in Chicago. Right. What year is that, and just how surreal was it? 98. Uh, that was 98. Um, very surreal as I look back on it now. Oh my God, I mean, it's 22, 23 years ago. Um, at the time, I didn't appreciate it for what it was. Um uh, you know, my grandfather was already in the Hall of Fame. Dad was very well established in Atlanta. I was just getting started. Um, and I was just sort of trying to get my feet wet. I, mean, it might have been, I don't think it was 98. I think it might have been earlier than that. Even I don't remember. It was in the early 90s. Yeah. Let's just say it that way. So it was maybe 30 years ago. Um, when it really hit me was uh, they had a big a press event at Harry's Restaurant in downtown Chicago. And my dad and I were walking from the team hotel to the restaurant, which is only you know, four or five blocks away. But there was this mob of camera people with the boom microphones and, and cameras backpedaling as my dad and I were walking down the street. And Dad just said, well, now I know what John Gotti feels like. <laughs> you know, and, and for us, it was it was surreal because, look, Matt, we this is what we do. I mean, we're no different than a, a guy that's a lawyer, a butcher, a baker, a radio host, whatever. you like. It's just our job. It's our family business. It's what we do. We don't ascribe ourselves any special um, you know, notice of it. But the fact that there were three generations doing Major League Baseball at the same time is something that had never happened before. Um, it's I don't know if it'll ever happen again. I'm sure it will. Um, but it was a surreal moment for my grandfather, who grew up an orphan in St. Louis, didn't know his parents. Uh, you know, you know, he he was the personification of a self-made man. Um, my dad was born in St. Louis and and didn't know his father particularly well because his parents divorced. Uh, and for my dad to see his son following in his footsteps uh, as well and. Uh, nobody forced us to do it was, uh, you know, I think a crowning achievement for my grandfather as far as his family life because he didn't have one. He didn't know how to be a father or a grandfather until very late in his life. But to, but to have a moment like that where he could beam with uh, paternal or grandparental uh, pride uh, was something that I know he appreciated. And now, as I said, with, with two sons that are trying to do the same thing and getting started, uh, I understand a lot more as I move up in line, as it were, what that moment would be like. It really was surreal and one that uh, I'll never forget and wish I could uh, revisit again. Yeah, that's very cool. I mean, just top to bottom. And now I'll, I want to find out from your perspective as you grew both up and into the business. Uh-huh. Your, your grandfather just always came off as fun. Like, you know, uh-huh. the game of baseball is meant to be fun. And it always seemed Harry Carey in the booth, on the commercials, during the seventh, it was just fun, and I don't know that enough folks in that business sometimes remember that, that that game is meant to be fun all around it. Well, a lot of people in our business have forgotten that. It's very corporate. It's very controlled. Uh, it's very homogenous. Uh, as we all know, Harry is probably uh, broke, a guy that's broken the mold, and let's be honest, I think in today's world he probably wouldn't be hired yeah. because he, quotes makes too many mistakes, and he has too much fun. He doesn't concentrate on the game, blah, 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 all that stuff. Look, our job as, as broadcasters is to uh, inform, but it's also to entertain. And my dad and my grandfather uh, probably were better entertainers than they were broadcasters because of the 
the teams they had to cover. They didn't have they didn't have that many great teams for a long stretch of their careers. But yeah, for Harry, uh, that was I think a product of his upbringing. As I said, he, he didn't know his family. He uh, had to, uh, you know, he was penniless. He he couldn't afford the school uniform. He was going to be a baseball player at Alabama. He had a scholarship to go to Alabama and play baseball, but couldn't afford the train ticket to get down there. I mean, this is a guy that. I think woke up one day and realized, look, you only do this once, so you might as well enjoy the ride. And he certainly did uh, behind the microphone better than anybody else. Uh, he was a very uh, intelligent man, very uh, uh, caustic when he had to be, very tough, street smart. I mean, you didn't want to cross him because uh, he never forgot and, and would never forgive. But uh, if you were one of his guys and if you loved the game, if you treated him with respect and treated him well, uh, you had no greater friend and no greater ally than Harry Carey, who's still beloved in Chicago. And, and think about this, Matt, you know, the, 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 the city rivalry that exists between the White Sox and the Cubs. I mean, it's Hatfields and McCoys. Uh, but Harry Carey is still universally beloved by the fans on the north side in Chicago with the Cubs and the south side with the White Sox. That's really, really hard to do. Uh, but the force of his personality and the, the joy that he brought to the broadcast, I think, is what transcended those those uh, parochial rivalries that exist in places like Chicago. We're brought to you by Dantana's in the heart of Buckhead and downtown in the CNN Center. Go to Dantana's.com for more. Chip, you said something, I think, that applies to your, your dad as well. Like today, I don't know that you could get away with or the corporate, you know, parents yeah. would be okay with. You know, Skip would crack me up just in the ways you said. The Braves just they weren't good for a very long time, so he had to find ways to entertain the audience and himself, and nothing would be funnier than getting through six promotional mentions in the fifth inning because he hadn't done them up until then and then knocking exactly. them off. Like, who could do right. that today? Nobody. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, one of his favorite lines, and, and I'm told I do a pretty good impression of him, but could you imagine what would happen in the TV world today if your broadcaster in the span of a 13-2 to two game in the seventh inning says, well, if you promise to patronize your sponsors, it's safe to go walk the canine. <laughs> Could you imagine how no. the, corporate, the corporate heads that would explode if that happened? And it's, it's not done maliciously. It's just, it's, you know, we're human beings too. We get bored with the game. We want to move along. And, and like, let's just, I think, I think the, the basis of all that was my dad was unbridled honesty. He would go crazy when ESPN would do a game and the ticket would say the game starts at 7.05 or 8.05 and the game wouldn't start till 8.18. He said, why not just say the game's going to start at 8.18 instead of lying to people yeah. because we have these extra 13 minutes. And to, to say that in today's, uh, in today's world, I think, would get you in an awful lot of trouble. And that's unfortunate because none of it comes from a place, or certainly in my dad's mind, none of it came in a, from a place of maliciousness. It was just, it's so much more fun and, and simple to tell the truth and have a little fun with it than to make a big corporate stink out of it. So I agree with you. I think it'd be hard for folks to, to hire either one of them, and that's a shame. When it never came across to the viewer, as, as you said, malicious, it was, he gets it, it's funny, speaking to the guy exactly. on the other side. Yeah, Exactly. So you took over full-time in 1998 with the Cubs. Um, right. Are you going into that position thinking, man, I, you know, Harry was in this spot, I'm going to work with him, and then eventually it's going to be me and Steve Stone, so that's, a, that's big shoes to fill? Or, like, how do you mentally approach that? Well, that was the plan. Uh, I turned down that job a couple of years earlier. Um, and for a while, my grandfather didn't speak to me. He couldn't understand. And there was, it, was a, it was a financial deal. I'll be honest, I was making $40,000 a year doing the Orlando Magic, and the Cubs offered me $45,000 to do 162 radio games and live in Chicago. Do the, do the math, yeah. right? 
And, you know, I said to my dad, I, you know, I, I can't afford to live there. And uh, it, my grandfather didn't understand that because he was looking at it. This is the greatest opportunity in the world. And he was right to work for the Cubs, work in Chicago, uh, get your feet on the ground and, and, and move on. But it, it didn't happen. But luckily, an opportunity came around a few years later. Uh, and the plan was uh, for me to do middle three innings at home, pregame, postgame, and then do all nine innings on the road because Harry didn't want to travel except to St. Louis or a couple of other cities. Um, he passed away in, in mid-February of the 98 uh, spring. And uh, to answer your question, yeah, uh, it was terrifying. Uh, you know, you, you don't understand the enormity of a person's legacy in a town until you have to follow them. Then when you add the fact that I've got the same last name, uh, I'm going to work with his partner, with his crew, with his producer, covering his team, sitting in his chair and using his microphone. And, oh, by the way, I'm still a neophyte in the business. Uh, that was really hard. Uh, it was really hard on a lot of different levels, not to mention the fact that I didn't know him very well. Uh, and so people would assume that, uh, oh, you must have had Christmases and Thanksgivings together. I spent one Christmas with my grandfather in my life. I never spent Thanksgiving. I didn't know him like most people would know their grandparents. And uh, his passing on a professional level was awful. Uh, on a personal level, it was tragic because our family, I think, was really looking forward to the closure of some of those familial loops that, that, were, that were still left open. Uh, where did he grow up? What was it like watching Jackie Robinson play? He saw every at-bat of Stan Musial's career. Uh, what was it like in, when baseball was desegregated? What was it like when uh, the Cardinals had to take the airplane for the first? All those things that, that, that there's so much a history and fabric of, of the sport were also intertwined with the history of our family that's you know lost forever. And so um, I, I really missed that uh, opportunity. Um, but fortunately, I had Steve Stone, who is still a dear friend, one of the best broadcasters I've ever worked with. Uh, Arnie Harris is a longtime producer, and they helped guide me through the minefields that I didn't even know existed because, again, I wasn't of there or from Chicago. Um, and it just clicked. It worked. And very quickly, the fans were able to embrace me uh, in my work. And fortunately for me as well, the Cubs in 98 had a magical season, got to the wild card game. And as you know, Matt, when you're fortunate to step into a new situation, you have a team that wins, people are going to be a lot more accepting of you a lot more earlier than you, a lot earlier than you would have imagined. And that was the case for me. I, yeah, absolutely. Winning makes the storyline sell itself a lot uh, easier. There's absolutely. no question. Absolutely. So these are the days before social media. I mean, the Internet certainly yeah. But there, there's some blogs and stuff like that. But are you, in retrospect, glad that, you know, because I found myself when we first started getting social media paying way too much attention to it. Oh, uh, yeah. Where were you with that when you started and when you realized I, I have to have kind of a, like a closed off sort of world so I could do my job without too much in the way of paying yeah, attention I mean, to that? If, again, I was, as I said, when I started doing the NBA games, I was so bad I probably would have been fired if it was somewhere else. I mean, uh, but that's, you know, we don't we don't allow people the opportunity to learn on the go. Right. I mean, we're such a, a fast paced uh, instant gratification, instant information society that people aren't allowed to make mistakes. And I think that's the biggest challenge of what we do. We we. Uh, we uh, work in the commerce of words, and sometimes we get words wrong. Um, sometimes we get facts wrong. Uh, it's not malicious. It's not intent. Uh, it just happens. You do your best to try to correct them and not make them in the first place. But in today's social media world, you're automatically branded an idiot or dumb or don't know what you're talking about and should be fired because you made a mistake. And so uh, I'm off social media. Uh, I don't I don't pay attention to it. It's, I think, a, a necessary evil, if you will, because there is a ton of great information about it. 
but I truly believe that it's like, uh, you know, sports talk radio in Chicago. It's a very, very small representation, a very loud minority of people um, who want to use that uh, area to vent. Uh, because they don't have another way to get their opinion or their voice heard. And I'm not saying it's not useful, but a lot of it, I think, is is so vitriolic and is so mean-spirited that I think it does, as you said, a lot more harm than good. So I don't pay any attention to it as much as uh, <laughs> you know that there are people out there that want to take their shots at you. Uh, it's it's talk radio where the caller has the dump button, and you don't want to get involved in that for sure. Yeah, it's overwhelmingly negative. I mean, I, yeah. I, th- I think yeah. when you get to a point in this business when you know how to use it or ignore it, like you said— well, it's it's free, yeah. man. It's a great place to be to yeah. know that, un you know, faceless, nameless people are going to take their pokes, and you just have to ignore that stuff. Yeah, and and it's tempting to want to answer to it. Um, you know, and, and I think. You know, if you have family that's involved in social media, as I said, I've got two 20-year-old kids in college. I've got a 22-year-old daughter who's about to graduate. They see that. They read that. They they hurt for you, uh, you know, because nobody wants to see their parent or, or, or someone they know get get uh, pilloried for something that's innocuous and innocent. But that's the lesson. That is exactly right. you gotta you got to develop a thick skin if you're going to be involved in the business. And, and, and let's be honest, sometimes, you know, the guys are right. Sometimes you do have a bad day. Sometimes you do have a bad call. And I think that's important to be grounded, too. So like everything else, healthy balance, healthy dose of reality doesn't hurt anybody. But uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of stuff, if you're going to allow that to be a referendum on who you are as a person or what you are as a professional, then I really feel sorry for you. Well said. Um, so take me through the decision then to leave Chicago Cubs broadcast and come to Atlanta. Yep. You were still my understanding living in Orlando. So was it just about proximity or more? No, uh, it was time. It was time to go. 2004 was a really rough season. Uh, you might recall 03 was the Bartman year. Cubs were, you know, a couple of outs away from going to the National League Championship Series and blew that game, blew the series. The Marlins ended up winning. 2004, the team was built to win, but everybody got hurt. Mark Pryor, Kerry Wood, Carlos Zambrano, all those guys broke and uh, they didn't get to the playoffs. Uh, Steve Stone and I, uh, were very honest about how well or how poorly they were playing. Some of the players didn't like that, didn't appreciate that very much, and were very vocal in their criticisms of us. Uh, we had players calling the press box to complain instead of focusing on what was happening in the game. We had players on the team plane who wanted to engage in verbal, if not physical, confrontations with Steve and, by extension, me. Uh, and that became a very convenient distraction for them. Instead of looking in the mirror and saying, we blew this, they wanted to blame it on the broadcasters. Um, at that time, um, the folks in Atlanta at TBS were looking to my dad who had said, look, I want to think about slowing down a little bit. And they were looking for their next generation of, of people to carry forth Braves baseball on the Superstation. And they knew that I had worked there before. Uh, so they had been in contact with my representation about coming. And uh, the Cubs uh, had a contract with me where they could uh, uh, meet or beat an offer if it came from someone else after a certain date on the calendar. They waited too long. The Braves made an offer. And the Cubs decided not to uh, not to match that offer. And so that's how I came to Atlanta. And that's how I was the fifth guy in a four-man booth <laughs> in, uh, in 2005. And, uh, again, from a personal standpoint, it gave me an opportunity to work with my dad. So uh, speaking of those loops that didn't get closed with Harry, I, I closed a bunch of them with my dad. And for that, I'll be forever grateful. Hey, are you tired of shopping your car and home insurance every single year? Well, somebody's got to do it, but that somebody doesn't have to be you. At the Rose Group, we can get you up to 10 insurance quotes in less than 10 minutes. Visit us online today at rose-group.com. 
It's a new year, which means it's time to try something new. And I'm talking to you folks who have not yet tried the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. I hope you'll go see my friend Sean Daly. That's, get it, the Daily Draft. This is the ultimate sports bar experience. So as the football playoffs near, and then baseball's around the corner, knock on wood, and all the fun springtime things that will happen in Atlanta, you're going to want to enjoy it at the Daily Draft. It's downtown Woodstock on Main Street. What you're going to find, a craft beer bar, self-serve taps, uh, big screens all around you to catch every view of the big game. And when I say a big screen, they have a movie-sized screen with a front-row seat right in front of it that you can grab if you get there at the right time to enjoy all your favorite games. A chef-inspired menu with soup, salad, sandwiches, flatbreads, uh, you name it, they have everything to find everybody exactly what they want when you're going with the family, a boys' night, or a date night. TheDailyDraft.net is where you can find all the information about some of the nights like Trivia Night, Kids Eat Free Night, and more. TheDailyDraft.net. Go find them downtown Woodstock on Main Street. Tell them Matt sent you. You'll love The Daily Draft. Well, and again, some of this might be none of our business, and don't share it if you don't want to, but those you know rides to the ballpark or you know times eating pregame meal with your dad, like how... In retrospect now, as you said, closing those loops, but how special was that time just around the ballpark to be with him and see him do his thing? Priceless. Uh, priceless. Um, you know, simple things like taking your dad to lunch, uh, uh, picking up his dry cleaning, driving into the ballpark so he didn't have to deal with the Atlanta traffic, which drove him absolutely nuts. You know, he liked to make fun of the DOT. Um, at the end of his life, Matt, he was not well. Um, you know, he was very sick. Um, being able to go with him to the doctor and uh, watch the stoicism with which he dealt with his illness at the end of his life and to be a confidant and to uh, be a, a bit of a support for him was, was awesome. Again, I, don't, I, I try not to live my life with regrets. And uh, in the case of coming to uh, Atlanta from Chicago on a personal level, zero regrets. Uh, I got to know my dad. I got to be his son. He got to hang out with his grandchildren. Uh, I have an 11-year-old son that he knew was on the way. Unfortunately, my dad died before uh, my youngest, uh, Tristan, was born uh, that November. But uh, he knew that he had another grand- grandchild coming. And the, the, the pride and the joy that he had in that was a very special thing, which I wouldn't have had if, if I'd been in Chicago or L.A. or Kansas City doing a game somewhere. So uh, professionally, uh, moving and changing teams is never easy. But from a familial standpoint, it was the easiest decision I ever made. That's tremendous. That's outstanding. So uh, your time in Atlanta here then professionally, doing Braves games, being around not only your dad, but, I mean, faces and names that Braves fans have grown accustomed to. And, and I'll be very honest, we as sports fans don't like change. We like, <laughs> right? We like the guys we, we get used to, Pete and Skip. From, from your lips to God's yeah. ears. <laughs> Listen, you and me both, brother. Yeah. Yeah, um, right. But what was that like fitting in? I, I have to imagine being as, as professional as that group is, they made it as easy as possible for you. They did. And I've been there. I mean, again, I was there in 91 and 92. So it wasn't completely and totally foreign. Okay. I was doing the Sports South games with Ernie Johnson Sr. Uh, and Ernie was the guy that started all of this. Look, there is a selflessness about our broadcast team that I think is unique uh, in all of Major League Baseball. Uh, and I'll go back to a story that my dad had. 1976, he's working with Ernie and, and, they took turns doing the play-by-play and all that kind of stuff. But they came back from the first commercial break before the first inning and said, blah, 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 Phil Negro ready to go. And here's the play-by-play story. Here's the voice of the Braves, Ernie Johnson. Ernie does the half inning. The inning, half inning ends. Ernie takes his headset off and says to my dad, hey, Skip, do me a favor. Yeah, Ernie, what do you want? He said, please don't call me the voice of the Braves. 
were all the voices of the Braves. Mm. And that, I think, sums up at least my approach um, in our broadcast booth, uh, whether it's Jeff Francoeur, Paul Bird, Tom Glavin, Joe Simpson, Jim Powell, Ben Ingram. Uh, we are all first among equals. There is no pecking order. There is none of that silliness that takes place uh, anywhere else. Uh, all the people that are in that booth are excellent. They're all professionals, uh, and they are all um, really, really good people. And uh, Ernie Johnson, Pete Van Weeren, I mean, you, you get on the list. Uh, it's a who's who of broadcasting excellence. And we all, again, stand on the shoulders of those great giants because they taught us how to do it. And not only that, they entrusted us with the legacy that they were helping to to create. And uh, in my position now as a guy that's been around a while, along with Joe Simpson, we're trying to do the same thing with Paul Burr, with Tom Glavin, with Jeff Francoeur, with Ben Ingram, who does such a great job on the radio side, um, that hopefully when you know the old farts like me and Joe are gone, they'll do the same thing to the younger guys that follow them. And, and it just sort of becomes a tradition that gets passed down uh, from, uh, from uh, you know, group of broadcaster to group of broadcaster. Well, well said again. I mean, we, we're very blessed growing up in Atlanta to have – as you said back in the day, to have Ernie and Pete and Skip, and then you know Don comes in and Joe. Sure. TBS did something that I don't know that anybody would have expected, right? And I wanted to get your perspective on the players themselves. I mean, America's team, whether they were good or bad, became the label. Right. But your dad and, and Ernie and Pete and that group, man, they became as well-known as anybody on the field. And I don't know that anybody expected that. No. Uh, and and I, I look, I, I don't know the reasons for it. I'm sure they're economic. Um, but that was, you know, I, I think that was, that was a big mistake that baseball made or whoever made that decision to take the superstitions off the air. Look, I, like so many kids, I, I grew up in the Midwest. Uh, I rushed home from school to catch the Cubs game at 2.30 in the afternoon. Yep. And then I'd do my homework and uh, go out and do whatever, come back, have dinner, and then put the Braves game on. Uh, when you think about the folks in Tomahawk, Wisconsin, or Minot, North Dakota, or Billings, Montana, or Pocatello, Idaho, places that don't have Major League Baseball, that was their lifeline to see the game every every night or every afternoon. And uh, they created such great loyal fans from all over the country they would actually come to these cities when the Braves would get to town. And I know that, that uh, some of the owners in the road towns would get mad because there'd be, quote-unquote, more Braves or more Cubs fans than their home fans. Well, that's great, but those people are buying tickets and spending money in your ballpark. <laughs> you know, uh, Their money folds just the same as the fans in, in your home city. So uh, it was unfortunate to see the superstations disappear because – there was a local feel to it. The players became part of the family. The broadcasters certainly did. The production was outstanding and so good uh, that it was network quality every day. And it was a big piece of Americana that uh, unfortunately has been lost now with, with uh, you know, the MLB.TV and the blackout rules and all that kind of stuff, which is unfortunate. I don't understand throttling your product and making it as difficult as possible for fans to watch their favorite team. But I'm sure there's a reason for it that's way above my pay grade. We just live with it. But I, I do sympathize with the fans who don't live near a big league city and want to watch their favorite team and can't. Well, let me ask you how this applies to you. I thought one of the great things that the group did back in the day was, I mean, it was a Braves broadcast. They would get the excitement of big moments happening, but you have no problem hearing them criticize when it was due mm -hmm. as well. How does that work mm -hmm. for you now? Because we hear your excitement on, you know, a chipper home run call back in the day or sure. Jason Hayward, you know, in, in the opener. How does that for you trying to balance the excitement, don't want to cross the line of homer, don't care, and criticizing when you have to, too? How, how do you make it all work for you? 
Well, I look, I don't work for the team. I work for the TV people. I work for Fox, uh, but I'm a Braves fan. I wanted to win every game because that makes my job a whole lot easier. It's a lot more fun when you cover a team that wins 100 games as opposed to losing 100 games. But it's not radio. Uh, people can see what we see. And I'm not going to sacrifice my credibility uh, and cover up something that shouldn't happen. Uh, that's just not the way it works. Um, as long as we're fair, as long as we're honest, I, I think people respect the fact that we tell the truth. Because if you don't, if you don't tell folks the truth when things are going bad, how can you expect them to believe that they're going really well when they are? Uh, like I said, I want the Braves to win. I get excited over big calls. Uh, if, if, a, if an opponent throws a no hitter against the Braves, I'm not going to be excited, but I'm going to I'm going I'm to have a little lilt in my voice because our job is to sell the game. And there are days when the Braves don't play very well. Uh, hopefully, there will not be as many of those as there were five or six years ago but ultimately we have a choice when that happens we can talk about how poorly the Braves are playing that day or we can talk about how uh, great a player Nolan Arenado is and celebrate his uh, his feats on the field because he's one of the great stars and great young stars of the game and I think that we have a big obligation to do that for our young fans uh, part of the nature of our sport is every team loses a third of their games at the very least and learning how to handle that and being fair and honest about it, I think, is is um, uh, what separates the really good broadcasters from the guys that are corporate shills. And, uh, again, that's something my dad and my grandfather and Ernie and Pete uh, refused to do. If the Braves played well, they said so. If the Braves didn't play well, we said so and said why and look forward to a better day tomorrow. You said back in Chicago, though, that they got contentious with players on one of those final mm-hmm. teams, 03 there, 04, as you said. Is that something that ever enters your mind when you are being fair and critical of what the player response might be? No, not really. Um, you know, I'm accountable. I go in the locker room every day. I'm on the field virtually every day. So if a player has a problem, you know, we can talk. I mean, Dan Ugla once uh, had a problem with something I said when he was with the Marlins. And their PR guy was very nervous and said, hey, Dan wants to talk to you about something you said on the air yesterday. Would you mind? I said, sure. And we went down and, and, and I, I asked him very simply, did you hear what I said? He said, well, no, my, my girlfriend or my mom walked me back. And I said, okay, well, here's what I said. But what I'd like you to do, Dan, is go back and watch the tape. And if you go back and watch the tape, watch it. And if you still think there's something that I said that was wrong or unfair, and we can talk it, I'll correct it. I have no problem with that. But until you hear it with your own ears, I, I you know, that this is secondhand news to you. So uh, he went and watched the tape, and I said, are we good? He said, he said, we're totally fine. Don't worry about it. And that's oftentimes what happens, Matt, is people will hear something secondhand or thirdhand and not understand the context of it and want to talk to you about it. But as long as you're there to uh, uh, hear their hear their side of, of the story or get their point of view, uh, we don't have to agree. We can agree to disagree. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, it's not fair to the player to take shots at him and then not show up and not be in the locker room and, and be around uh, because those guys deserve to have their side told uh, or at least uh, um, have a chance to vent their frustrations. It doesn't mean they're right, but it also doesn't mean we're right all the time either. And I think you have to be fair and, and be balanced with those guys because they deserve that at the very least. Chip, as we wrap up, um, we've gotten the professional side. What about the personal side? You mentioned three sons and a daughter. How important is that part of you the dad side of it as you said i mean every family we've got our our stuff we've dealt with how did that mold you as the dad 
Uh, well, you know, I, I, uh, I, I didn't want to follow my dad's and my grandfather's footsteps and have children to be divorced. Uh, you know, that's, that's number one. So again, my parents, uh, taught me not what, not only what to do, but what not to do. Uh, look, uh, the, all the success that I have, uh, as a person goes to my wife. Uh, she's brilliant, smart, beautiful. Uh, she's the rock of our family and, and she's a very smart and independent lady who can handle being by herself for six months out of the year that's how this works and that's not easy especially raising young children i mean i I have uh kids who i've seen them for basically half of their lives and that's that's a really hard thing to reconcile uh from time to time Uh, we are paid to travel we are paid to be away from family and miss uh, anniversaries and birthdays and special occasions uh to cover a game uh it affords us a lifestyle that uh, is is more wonderful than probably we could have ever dreamed of, but there is a price to be paid. Um, you know, there's a song from uh, my favorite band, Rush. You know, we each pay a, a fabulous price for our visions of paradise, uh, and that's 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 kind of uh, that's kind of what this job is. And uh, you know, not a day goes by that I don't uh, recognize what she does for our family and what uh, kind of wonderful children she has mostly raised. And uh, look, if my sons can uh, grow up and my daughter as well, to be uh, half as good a person as my wife is, then uh, we'll have had a very rewarding parenthood. So all credit goes to her and and, uh, her extended family as well. They've been wonderful caretakers in in my absence. You said you had a couple of uh, sons looking at the business. What would you say to them and anybody who's listening to this right now as a piece of advice (laughs) for the young wannabe broadcaster? Uh, you know, it's no different than anything else in life. Uh, be yourself, personality-driven business. Be honest, tell the truth, be on time, work hard, be kind to people. You know, the old saying, uh, be nice to them on your way up because those are the people you meet on your way down. It's really true. Uh, and just, uh, 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 you know, do not compromise your principles, uh, but make sure that you're you're fair. Uh, be humble, be fair, have fun, and enjoy the ride because it's, it's a great, great way to, to make a living. And, uh, again, as uh, David Hill at Fox Sports told me many, many years ago, the best way I could sum it up is this way. We get to live in life sandbox. And if you look at it that way, all these first world problems that we all, all worry about so often, uh, those kind of fade away when you think about uh, scoop a, a scoop and a bucket and a sand in the ocean. That's, that's pretty much what we get to do every day. Chip, great stories. We really appreciate you spending some time and sharing those with us. Best of luck down the road, my friend. Thank okay, you. Okay, Maddie. Thanks. We'll Thank, see you soon. Thanks so much, Chip. Thanks, everybody, so much for taking the time to listen to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. Thanks to our producer, Matt Lear, for his assistance with the program. He's the glue that keeps the operation running. We'll talk to you next week on Welcome to Atlanta. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play And we ride on them things like every day Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming And parties don't stop till 8 in the morning Welcome to Atlanta where the players play And we ride on them things like every day Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. 
Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.